Welcome to The Watering Hole, for coaches, by coaches, with coaching at the core. Fill your cup, join us, sit by the fire, and connect. We're on a mission to explore the water of wisdom, well-being, and we, the change makers. Coaching with a capital C. Coaching with a capital C. Coaching with a capital C. Hi, all, and welcome to the second of a two-part conversation on the intersection of culturally responsive care and coaching. And while we know that this topic deserves way more than two conversations, uh, these are the first two that we're having. And if you haven't had a chance to listen to part one, which was our episode last week, we recommend that you go back and listen to that episode, as today, when we rejoin the conversation Brianna, Andrea, and Lindsay will continue to explore these topics in more depth. So if you haven't had a chance, like I said, please go back and listen to that first episode. Otherwise, I will let us rejoin Lindsay, Brianna, and Andrea in their conversation. Thank you. And I, I mean that specifically within designing an alliance, designing the alliance. Um, it's kind of like creating, like, what are the, what are the, um, you know, parameters of the playground? And then we can kind of like, you know, free up and just do the thing. Um, but I think about, you know, there are ways, and we train our layer coaches on this, to design culturally responsive working alliances um, from the outset. Um, and uh, I don't know, Brianna, do you want to like speak into that? Kind of like how we actually do it. I think it's been so powerful. I, I, I think talking about the actual practical ways that we can embody these principles. Um, so maybe that could be helpful for folks. Yeah, absolutely. And, and one comment before we go fully into that, I, I'm just thinking about um, that piece again around kind of like the, the self-awareness and self-management that... Uh, that Andrea just described in her own process. And and when I think about having these conversations with coaches, particularly particularly coaches from privileged identity groups, such as white identified coaches, there's a lot of fear. It's a lot of fear about how do I, how do I broach this? Like, how do I bring this up? What if I do something wrong? What if I cause more harm? Um, And if, if that's a white identified coach or, a coach of any identity that is coming upon a different identity that you that might bring up these kind of like I don't know how how do I engage in this conversation, and that piece of recognizing and, and working with that fear one's own fear and um, this layer of sort of self management and and finding that place of safety in yourself and a willingness to engage with that part of your own experience I think is an important first step to being able to open to these conversations. So I just want to acknowledge that it can be scary to to have these conversations um, wide open in in a coaching engagement. And that is also why this piece around designing the alliance can be so supportive, um, really from the outset, uh, creating a container that is acknowledging diversity of identity and experience. And some ways that we talk about you can do that are really 
to say, to kind of signal from the beginning, as you're talking about what is this experience going to be like, as we're going to coach together, you know, I may actually ask you some questions about your identity. Is that okay with you? Um, always asking for consent in, in these practices. Um, even stating your values, you know, I, I value inclusivity and I value equity and I'm going to do my best to, um, to model that in our coaching relationship um, and inviting the client to speak their values around that. What might be something important about your identity or your cultural background for me to know as I, we work together? Questions that directly evoke uh, the client to take the lead in even identifying which parts of their identity that they find important to bring into the coaching relationship. So again, you're not making the assumptions about, oh, this client must um, be really, it must be really important to them that I consider this particular part of the identity. Maybe they wanna lead with a different part of their identity. Maybe that feels more alive for them in this moment. And so uh, asking those questions as you're creating your alliance that can have the client really uh, be a part of understanding and recognizing how you're starting to invite in these different parts of who they are and what their experiences are um, from the outset. So helpful. I think, you know, putting that in place from the very beginning then allows for the freedom and just allowing the process to kind of work and unfold, you know, the way that Andre was, was referencing. Uh, what, if, what if harm is done? What then? Wow, that is a really powerful question. And I, I would say for me, if harm is done in any area, it's taking ownership of that, acknowledging first having compassion for my own humanity. Um, I'm a human. And so the, the, the odds that I'm going to make a mistake are pretty high, right? And so how do I own that just as a human? I apologize. I, again, stay curious. Um, in what ways was the harm done? What might I have done differently? How can I um, make amends for that? You know, and, and giving the client full permission to say they don't feel safe. Maybe they don't want to continue the relationship with you. And so, again, it is about this self-awareness of my job isn't to be the expert here. My job is to hold space for this client to tap into their own resources. And if I can't provide that in a safe way for them, then it's not a personal thing if they don't wanna work with me, right? And, and giving them that permission to say so. Yeah, absolutely. I would, I would fully align with that. The words that came to mind for me were accountability and repair. And you know, what, what are, uh, first starting with accountability and, um, really being willing to be with the discomfort of, of the harm and, and to stay with it and to acknowledge it and um, identify where there's need for repair and what is needed for repair. And if you can have a conversation with the client in that way, I think it really um, models courage and commitment and um, and can be very challenging and likely will be very challenging. 
but that willingness for accountability and repair, I think is, is a really powerful opportunity. Yeah, I, I feel like having designed a alliance that is um, responsive um, is just, there's one more example of how having established that from the beginning gives you a framework to be able to, you know, move into a place of repair, accountability, um, that is consistent. Um, yeah. I, what other examples do we have, um, just from our own caseloads, uh, private practice or your clients, um, where we've really seen, um, benefit in the outcomes, the coaching outcomes by having practiced in this way. I could name a ton, but I'm gonna allow Brianna to speak if she wants to. Yeah, sorry, I kept myself muted for a moment because my dog was snorting very loudly on the floor. <laughs> um, He's yeah. not into culturally responsive care, obviously. <laughs> Snorting so, about it. <laughs> so first wave behaviors. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, absolutely. I think in terms of client outcomes, it's huge. And I think that piece around um, safety and belonging and um, the client example that Andrea gave around, like, if I didn't bring it here, I would have nowhere else to bring it. I mean, that to me demonstrates, I mean, huge huge impact in terms of outcomes um, because this person wouldn't have anywhere to put it, right? And that means there is not gonna be any movement in the outcome. So when that safety is, is created, there's, there's actual opportunity and, open, and opening for client outcomes. And thinking about um, a client that I had a while back who always stood out to me, um, he was a uh, mixed race, uh, half white, half Mexican. And in our coaching relationship was the first time he had the opportunity to talk about his experience being mixed in particular. He had sort of always been put in one bucket or the other um, and hadn't really had an opportunity to even explore how the straddling of these different cultural identities was impacting his, his way of being in the world, his perspective, his orientation to who he was and, and his relationships and his family and, um, and his community. And uh, it was really, really powerful to be able to invite that new level of even understanding of his own intersectional identities and see how that created more space for him. It created more space for him to bring in that self-compassion, um, to be uh, gentler with himself and, and also um, celebrate more of his resiliency. Um, and that was, that was one that really stood out. I'm sorry, that was my dog. I'm not sure if you guys heard that. <laughs> um, but that was one that really stood out for me because it was really the first time for this client that, that those parts of him were invited in in a way that 
even unveiled new layers of his relationship to his identity. Um, and it was gratifying to, to see that the impact of that on him. So cool. Thank you for sharing. Like what, what did you notice either through um, just your observation as the coach or through the client kind of reporting, like the, having made that space um, and having um, had the ability to integrate more yeah. uh, of his identity, like uh, what did that um, add up to? Like how did he see or feel the changes, the benefits of that in his life? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, without getting into too many details about the client's experience um, or his story, you know, I think um, one of the ways it helps, uh, when I say sort of it created more space, um, he was able to kind of step back and see layers of the expectations, the kind of conflicting cultural expectations that had been placed on him um, and the tension between those and how those were sort of pulling him in different directions and feeling sort of um, just sort of like to use the word nebulous, right? Like he knew he was feeling pulled. He knew he couldn't sort of ground himself and it was manifesting as anxiety and a lot of negative self-talk. And, um, and as we started to kind of peel these layers back of recognizing that, you know, these are cultural tensions, that they're um, to be able to see layers in the different uh, parts of his experience and how they have both benefited him or where maybe in particular contexts they didn't serve him as well as uh, they could have or as what he wanted to be living into. Um, it also opened him to actually reach out to more community um, he felt more comfortable claiming certain elements of his identity uh, more fully. Um, and so that expanded elements of his, of his community and who, who he was able to connect with and who he felt moved to reach out to um, and, and had a lot of, um, again, like the self-compassion piece and, and compassion for his family, compassion for um, the people who had maybe taught difficult lessons throughout his life, but also being able to see the greater context through which they're moving in as well and, and more compassion for his, the story of his lineage. Um, and, and I think that that was something that really allowed him to, to kind of embrace sort of the unfolding and the emergence of, of where his path was also going from there. It's an opportunity. It is. Yeah, I was thinking, I mean, when we when we say the client comes in there creative, resourceful and whole, this client is not feeling whole, they're feeling torn into parts and you help to bring that into reality of like, no, there's a whole person here who has all of these different pieces that make him who he is, but he doesn't have to pick one or the other or straddle the fence that he can show up as his whole self. Um, in all situations. That is so powerful. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Lindsay, yeah. I'm, I'm wondering if you have um, any insights or stories around, you know, culture responsive care in your practice. And, and just that, I mean, the passion I've seen you bring to this conversation and this work as we've been having these conversations over the last few months and our work together at Lyra, I just, I'm curious, you know, what's feeling alive for you in this? 
Yeah, um, you know, I had sort of referenced at the beginning of our conversation that I um, uh, trained as a somatic coach at the Strozzi Institute, and I just want to plug them. Um, and, you know, in hearing you sort of talk, Brianna, and I agree with you that there are major glaring holes in coach training curriculum um, as it relates to culturally responsive coaching or CRC, as we kind of shorthand it. Um, I really have to uh, hold Strozzi as an exception to that. Um, and I feel really fortunate to have uh, gone through a training program where this was sort of baked into my coach training from the very beginning. And at Strozzi, you know, of course, everyone has their terminology. It's it's called sites of shaping and understanding kind of where the client is coming from in those different uh, domains. Um, and, you know, for me, I'm just really interested in the impact of, um, you know, a client's felt experience, um, like actually, you know, somatically. Um, and so for me, it's been a really interesting conversation around, you know, what are ways that we're noticing clients' um, behavior, sensation, um, emotional experience as they navigate coming from, you know, very different places. And so often, you know, the body kind of tells that story too. Um, there's the thoughts, there's the, the urges, some of which we're aware of, some of which we're not, um, but the body doesn't really lie. <laughs> Maybe that's like a, a cheesy, like song lyric or something, but it's also something that. <laughs> hey, there's of... a book. You have a book to support you. It's the true. body there keeps the score. the score. Indeed. <laughs> um, and so, you know, I, I will not deign to, um, you know, match the incredible, you know, um, like body of work that that, that book is. Um, but I do think that there is a way to explore within the realm of the physical experience that's really important to include here and that I definitely include as part and parcel of my working with clients. Um, you know, we hold on to trauma in the body. Um, and not feeling safe, not feeling dignified, not feeling that we belong um, can be a very traumatic experience. Um, and so helping clients gain access to the parts and the ways and the places that um, the body really feels that experience. And um, I love this idea of creating more space. We're talking a lot about space, holding space, making space. Uh, how do we do that? And I think, you know, one thing about space is like, we feel it. We feel when we're constricted uh, versus spacious. We feel when our system is feeling more knit together as opposed to fragmented. And so all of the ideas that we've been talking, that you all have been talking about today, I, I hear clients, I observe clients, you know, presenting somatically um, in these ways as well. And so it's just one more doorway in to exploring experience. Um, and how cool to be able to create not just a sense of ease cognitively or emotionally, but literally actually like in the body. Um, so it's, a, it's another place to kind of explore from. You know, we've got a few minutes left and I thought it could be helpful to kind of return to this notion of mental health coaching. And we began by talking about the three pillars. We talked um, utilizing scientifically validated tools um, and we talked about some of the ways that we do that, facilitate that. We have spent a lot of time talking about considering unique client factors through culturally responsive care, of course. Um, 
But that second one, that coach, leveraging coach knowledge and intuition. And I'm curious to hear from you too, like where does skillful self-disclosure enter into this conversation? And, you know, how do you, how do you determine uh, whether to bring that in? Excellent question. Yeah, it is. I can, I can speak to this a little bit. I, I um, kind of let the client lead for disclosure, right? Um, if they're talking and, and then they ask me a question about myself, um, then that's an invitation, right? For me to self-disclose. Or if I'm noticing that maybe they don't feel like I'm connecting with the story, um, then I feel like that's another invitation. Like I had a client who was talking, she was there, talk, her, her whole coaching engagement was about dating and how hard it is to date. And we're into like the third or fourth session and, and I'm saying yes, and I'm giving her, you know, suggestions, tools, um, asking her thoughtful questions. And then she finally said, well, it's, it's really hard out here and you're married, right? And I said, actually, I'm not, I'm single. And she said, oh, well, then you really get it. Like you really get all. And I was like, yes, I, <laughs> I am connecting with you. I am resonating with you on the difficulties of dating in, in 2021 and what it means to be single, right? So to me, that was a perfect example of this client is trying to grasp whether I really connect with what they're sharing. Do I really understand the struggle? And when I said that I was single, it was just like, almost like a sigh of relief of like, I don't have to keep doing this explaining. You get it, right? So um, that that's just how I self-disclose. I wait for the client to invite me into that space to do so. Yeah, I, I would um, I would echo echo that in terms of the invitation. Um, and I think there there might be some kind of interesting openings in the context of culture responsive care uh, around identity and um, you know sometimes it can be helpful just to sort of name the elephant in the room if you have different identities and the client that you're working with. Um, to, to diffuse the space of like, yes, we can acknowledge that like races may need to be a part of this conversation. And I might have a different, uh, I may have a lot of edges and blind spots around your experience um, or gender or ability. Um, and, you know, I think to, to do so in a way that is again, when you have that alliance built strongly in the beginning, you're sort of setting the norms that, that this is already something you're ready to acknowledge and um, creating space for that invitation um, for self-disclosure because the client may also not know where to invite that in or how or when. Um, and so I, th I think there's something there as well around um, being able to, to have a little bit of vulnerability and transparency around where you are in your own journey. Um, and in a way that is not putting it on the client to educate you about 
an entire identity group, <laughs> but about this moment and this conversation and this particular, whatever it is you're, you're addressing and working with um, so that you're inviting the client to, uh, if they're comfortable and willing and interested to speak more aspects of their identity um, or how their identity might be relating to whatever it is you're working on together. Yeah, so what if a client names it, right? Like you name it, that race may need to be a part of this conversation and they say, but you're white or you're female or you're like my client, you know, or you're married, right? There's this kind of wall of like, you don't get me. How do you as a coach respond to that? Yeah, I'll take this one. <laughs> it's tough. Um, and I return to this notion of keeping the focus on the person and not the problem and modeling the tools of acceptance and self-compassion. Um, and so absolutely validating and acknowledging that no, I will never know any one of my clients personal experiences and um, I can bring in immense compassion for what your experience is, help you explore it more, more fully, create a safe place to do that and um, know that I, I will never know what I don't know and I need to find comfort with that even if it's really uncomfortable. <laughs> Yeah, it is really uncomfortable, isn't it? Really uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm, I'm curious, you know, we're having this long conversation. We're sharing this information. Why do people need to know this? Why would this be important to, especially say an experienced coach who's already got a booming practice and they feel like, why do I even need to bring this into the conversation? I think, first of all, if you are committed to practicing with scientifically validated evidence-based tools, um, culturally responsive care is synonymous with that. Um, and so I think working within that framework, uh, knowing that you are making a commitment to outcomes um, or facilitating outcomes for your client that have been proven to work, um, there's that. Now, we have more and more clients from diverse backgrounds entering into the client pool and population. And so at some point, you're going to have to make a choice, either that you're not going to skillfully work and um, uh, work from an evidence-based perspective with certain clients, or that you are. So in a lot of ways, you know, I, I consider that Coaching has this opportunity to really be used as a force for social change. Um, and, you know, sometimes at Lyra, which is this really wonderful place to embody these values of inclusion and, um, you know, equity, belonging, diversity, um, I, I sometimes call it, <laughs> it's work-tivism, <laughs> um, going to work um, and uniting, uniting, you know, my values of activism. And I think 
you're either going to make that choice and learn uncomfortably and perhaps even unskillfully at first how to do that and how to grow um, or you don't or you risk doing harm. Yeah, I think that that last piece that you risk doing harm. So when someone says to me, well, I've already got a full schedule. I've got clients. I've got a waiting list. And it's like, and does that mean that you're providing the best care possible? I mean, the pandemic taught us the power of a pivot, right? People who were doing things a certain way and it seemed to be working really well, all it took was a pandemic <laughs> to shut down systems and, and ways of operating. And as a coach, it takes one bad experience, right? You doing harm, real harm to a client to cause you to have to look at, am I doing this in the most responsible way? Am I considering all the factors that go into making coaching such a powerful practice? Or am I more concerned about numbers and results of my business than the outcomes, like you said, the activism of the work that we're actually doing? Yeah, I think if you don't incorporate this work into your practice, like you're just gonna be on the wrong side of the thing. You know, I think that culturally we're reckoning with that. And it, 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 the, the coaching profession is not impervious from the impacts of what is going on in the world. Um, furthermore, I think, you know, if you're in this profession or for some of this business, I think, um, you know, hopefully you believe in a growth mindset. You believe in um, developing oneself. Uh, and why would you exclude this? I also just feel that something you said a moment ago, Lindsay, coaching for me has always been a, like a path for transformation, right? It's this transformational work that we are hopefully engaging in here and that this work can also be social transformation. We can, it's not just the individuals we're impacting, we're impacting a whole cultural orientation to the world, to belonging, to inclusiveness, to oppression, and, and really inviting a whole person truly, fully within this context to be in a transformational process is such a powerful opportunity. And I think we are as coaches positioned to be a, a social, a force for social change in this way. And, and I think that this is an opportunity that we can't afford to miss. We can't afford it. I'm hesitant to say anything else because <laughs> what an elegant and um, powerful <laughs> uh, sentiment to end with. Um, and I would be remiss if I did not plug uh, the upcoming International Columbia Coaching Conference. Um, yes. <laughs> Brianna, um, of which you and I and our clinical manager, Shane, um, will be joining forces to present um, in October, October 13th through 18th 
on the topic of mental health coaching, establishing a practice of evidence-based and culturally responsive care. Um, so coaches, please come and check it out. Uh, this is a very um, important topic and we'll be doing a coaching demonstration uh, to um, kind of put this up on its feet and see what it feels like in practice more completely end to end. Um, and uh, it's exciting that Lyra is really leading the way in this conversation um, and uh, look forward to seeing where it all goes. I'm excited for that too. Me too. Any final thoughts? Did we leave anything out? Um, I think if I could close with a thought, it would be this. We shared a lot of like heavy stuff, right? I mean, just the definition of what is mental health coaching. Some people are probably still stuck there. So just naming that this isn't a one and done conversation. This is an introduction into a process, right? We're just bringing this forth. So you may have to listen to this podcast a couple of times. You may have to go and do your own research. But just if, as you're sitting there pondering, you're like, I don't even know what these ladies were talking about. It's stirring something in you. And like you were talking about that somatic experience, getting curious about that. What is it stirring in me? Why is it stirring that? What's underneath that? Are, are my own feelings coming into this? And just allowing the information that we shared here to sit with it, not have to have answers for it or def defend it or rebuke it, but to just sit with it and um, let it soak in. So you may have to, like I said, come back and listen two, three, four, five times, and that's okay. Um, you know, we're here talking about this. We didn't just start studying this yesterday. You know, this has been something that we've been doing for years. And so don't be intimidated, I think is what I want people to know. Always with modeling the compassion. <laughs> and yeah, you don't have to do this alone. I, um, I won't speak for either of you, but uh, I'm happy to put my email in, I don't know, whatever the blurb or description of this thing is and reach out. Are you curious about learning more about this? Are you curious about maybe joining forces with our team here and checking out Lyra. Uh, do you want to know more? I, do, let's, 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 uh, let's help each other. Likewise. And I think this piece, you don't have to do it alone. is also so crucial. Like this, this, we can't do it alone actually. Um, and so please do reach out or find people in your community you can connect with and, and, listen to this podcast together with them, ask questions, um, get curious and uh, do so in community. So true. And I know that uh, that's what uh, Coaching with a Capital C is really up to, creating the forum, creating the place, joining the Slack, um, joining the upcoming training. I think so. Uh, thank you, Megan, for, for having us and letting us talk about what we're up to at Lyra. Yeah, so grateful just to put this out into the airwaves and let people soak it in. Um, so thank you, Megan.
Thank you for having us and thank you everyone for listening. Thank you all for joining in and listening to this second of our two-part conversation on culturally responsive care and coaching. We know that this is a big topic and we're excited to do more conversations on this as we go forward. And just to say, if you're interested to learn more about Andrea, Brianna, and Lindsay and the work they're doing, please do check out the episode notes so that you'll be able to see their contact information if you're curious to get in touch. Um, in the meantime, thank you again. We know that there's a lot of rich information that was shared here. And as Andrea said, take some time to digest it, sit with it, re-listen to it, come back to it, uh, let it simmer a bit. And with that, help to digest and process all that was shared. So thank you all again so much, and I hope you enjoy your day. <laughs>